a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Mark 10, 17-24. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell at his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lacked, he, lack, he, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Let me just pray. Father, I just pray this morning, Lord God, that the words you've given me, Lord, uh, that I'll bring, Lord God, and the words that are not of you and not honouring to you, Lord God, that I'll not bring those, Father. So I just pray that from this there'll be uh, some fruit, Lord. I pray that, Father, you'll just open your words to us, open our hearts this morning, Lord God, to hear what you have for us collectively and individually. Amen. Okay, so what do we know about this man? Well, we don't know an awful lot about him, except he was rich. He was young, and yeah, you're ahead of me, he was a ruler. Yeah, the rich young ruler. So uh, there's been many sermons preached on this subject, and they've been entitled The Fatal Refusal, The Man Who Had Everything Except the Main Thing, and The Rich Young Fool, amongst others. But I challenge you, as I felt God challenged me this week, to read this passage without a touch of sorrow and searching in your own heart. There is loneliness, heartache, and a chill in verse 22 when we find that he went away. That should provoke us as Christians and should be a wake-up call for those still searching. This story clearly demonstrates that it wasn't Jesus who pushed him away, disqualified him, who saw some sordid error in his past that would prevent him becoming a disciple. On the contrary, this man held his own destiny in his own hands, as each, as each of us does. We have the power to say yes or no, and we can make the decision to turn our back on Christ and refuse to follow him. This story, in my opinion, is the most disappointing in the New Testament. The reason is that we know of no single man that came into a personal contact with Jesus during his earthly ministry, ministry who was richer in possibilities. No man had a more hopeful beginning than this man. Therefore, it is all the more sad to see him in one moment running to Jesus and kneeling at his feet. And the next minute, he's walking away from Jesus, having disqualified himself and with a sadness in his heart. I want to look at the next few minutes at some of the qualities this man shows and then secondly to look at some of the lessons we might corporately learn from this passage. So the first good quality was this man. He was eager. Verse 17, it says he ran. 
He'd made up his mind to get to Jesus. He had no time to lose. Oh, for more people like that. Too many people linger like Lot or Felix, we find in Acts, who was waiting for a more convenient day. Whatever else will be remembered about this young man, at least he was eager. But beware what you run to. He ran, how much easier is it for us to run towards earthly pleasures, which may bring instant satisfaction. But in the long run, we leave us feeling empty like this young ruler. Secondly, he was humble in verse 17. He knelt before Jesus. He knew that Jesus commanded respect. Here is the rich and powerful kneeling before the poor and lowly servant king. Oh, for more respect and reverence like this for the things of God, especially throughout this nation at this time. Point number three, he had courage. He ran when no one else ran. It's easy to run with the crowd. It's much harder to run alone. Here was a rich ruler wanting to join a group of fishermen. It took courage to come to Jesus that day. And it will take the same courage for you to make a commitment to Christ. And we've already had a testimony this morning of how that happened last week, praise God. It's hard to step out of the crowd and be counted. And pride can become a major stumbling block. Point number four. He showed discernment and reverence. He called Jesus good teacher. He saw in Jesus what many fail to see today. He saw the goodness and the holiness of God. He showed a reverence to what he saw. Again, how we need that in our society today. Fifthly, he had spirituality. What shall I do, he inquires. Here is a man concerned about his eternal soul. Nobody went to see him about his soul. The onus is on each one of us. This man went to Jesus himself. Point six, he was morally clean. He had kept the commandments. He had no bad habits or a shady past that we know of. He was morally aware. And Jesus probes him regarding the Ten Commandments. Notice here he only asks him with regard to the ones that mention our relationships of man to man and not man to God. And so Jesus knew that this man was bereft of any knowledge of God as his saviour at that time. Point seven, he's religious. Verses 19 to 20 point this out. He was religious but lost. He fasted, he tithed, he went to church, he knew the law, but he was not born again. He had this hunger in his soul, but he was not saved. Point eight, we know he was wealthy, verse 22. And money does not bring happiness, I'm sure we know that. We find the the Bible does not condemn money, but the love of it. It wasn't a bubble, it was a Bible. Okay, you can laugh at that point, that's a spelling mistake. Um, the Bible does not condemn money, but the love of it. What possibilities this man's wealth could have done for the kingdom had it been dedicated and put to work for God? I wonder if you and I have this area of our lives sorted. Point nine, he was of social rank. Luke eighteen eighteen tells us this. It tells us this man was a ruler. Many in our day will forsake God for social prestige, power and popularity. He was a ruler willing to fall at the feet of a carpenter's son. He would have been among the classes that later had Jesus crucified. So what lessons can we learn from this particular passage? Firstly, the basic needs of man cannot be satisfied by the possessions of fame, fortune or indeed anything else in this life. It is impossible for this world to satisfy the soul of man. Secondly, this passage shows us something about our opportunities 
They do not last forever. Many pass very swiftly away. Here this man stood at the gate of heaven and then left. He came running and he went away sad. Opportunities once rejected seldom if ever return. We have a gracious God, but every day we reject God increases the possibility that we could be lost forever. A sobering thought. Opportunities like this need to be grasped very quickly for someone that might even be today. Remember we spoke about Felix in Acts 24 who said, When I have a more convenient season, I will call for thee. And Herod Agrippa in Acts 26 who states, Almost you have persuaded me to become a Christian. What about us? What about us? Will you come to accept Jesus as your saviour when perhaps you've finished reading your Bible? Or you've moved house? Or you've started a new job? Or maybe when you've had all your questions answered? What timetable have you and I set to come and fall at the feet of Jesus? Do not procrastinate. Do not put off till tomorrow what could be done today. Procrastination is a major weapon the devil uses to stop us moving in the things of God. It's easy to be lulled into a sense of full security in this matter. Thirdly, and lastly, usually it's only one thing that keeps a person from accepting Christ. There was only one thing in the life of this man. Verse 21 says it. One thing you lack. He lacked the willingness to put Christ above all other things in his life. That is what God expects of us all. Jesus puts his finger on the spot. The man loved his wealth. One small thing, but it was too big to surrender. Many people just have one thing. Lust, fame, possessions, popularity, strong drink, drugs. Just one thing. Mark 8 verse 36 puts it like this. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? A sobering question. Jesus wanted to perform spiritual surgery on the ruler and remove these blockages, but the ruler, he just walked away. So in closing, look at what he was offered. He was offered a saviour that could save his soul. He was offered a cross that would lead to a crown. He was offered an inheritance more than money could ever buy. Look at what he refused. He refused it all. Jesus had begun to lead this man step by step. The man had passed the requirement so far, but if he could take just one more step of acceptance, he would be saved. If he could just surrender his all, then the angels in heaven would rejoice and the church would be richer for all time. But no, not on this occasion. I wonder if there are some here today who see themselves in that position. Do you see that you may climb to the very door of heaven and then disqualify yourselves? Do you see how much you might know but then be so distracted? Do you see how much you could do and yet do nothing? It's possible to talk to Jesus, to look into his face and yet to go away. You can live with Jesus and yet not really know him. And that's what Judas did. So the rich young ruler, where did he go? Did he go back to his palace? Would he find in his friends what he was looking for? Probably not, because that is why he sought Jesus out on that day. Where did he go? Back to his pleasures. I doubt if he found any satisfaction there. Where did he go? Did he go to heaven? Remember, he ran to Jesus but walked away empty-hearted. He was not willing to pay that small price. He's never, to my knowledge, mentioned in the scriptures again, so we may surmise that he didn't make it to heaven 
but rather God left this story in this word, in his word, to provoke us. And Ray brought some word on vision and involvement in the church last week about spurring each one on to, to get out on the streets and to do things and to take the gospel to the nations. And maybe that's the provocation today. So how sad it is then, amid the fires of eternal woe, dwells one that first ran to Jesus, fell at his feet and asked, Master, what is it that I must do to have eternal life? It's hard to step out of the crowds. No one person can enter heaven by their own merits. All have sinned and fallen short of the grace of God. It is impossible for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle, and it is just impossible for us to fit through it too. What we need is someone to remove the blockages and our stumbling blocks. This is only possible through God and by his help. Contrast the ruler with the children we see earlier in Mark 10, 13 to 16. It says people were bringing their little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus heard this, he was indignant and he said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So that's how we must come to God today. No inhibitions, no preconceptions, but as children with a childlike faith. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.